Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Monica Gibbs, and I'm the worship leader here at our Rolling Hills Nashville campus. We're continuing in our series, The Greatest Adventure, looking at and learning from Moses' life. In today's message, you'll hear from Pastor Nick as he teaches God's provision for his people in the desert. Now here's Nick. Good morning. I'm really glad that you're here today. We're finishing up, not finishing up, we've got a couple more weeks left, but we're kind of rounding out the corners in in a really fantastic passage of scripture this summer um, in the book of Exodus. And and so if you know the story at all, what you know is that the people of God made a move out of the book of Genesis and the land that they were living and the land that they were enjoying into the land of Egypt because of provision. Uh, Because there was a famine in the land and God sent Joseph ahead of them to go and establish a rapport with the Pharaoh so that when God's family came down in order to find food, they have enough resources where they settled and where they were taken care of for a long, long time. Well, a new Pharaoh came up and did not remember Joseph or the covenant commitment that he had made with those people. And because the Israelites continued to multiply, according to Exodus chapter one, that Pharaoh became intimidated by their power, thought that they would rebel against them and decided to enslave them in the process. And 430 years of oppression followed. Out of that 430 years of oppression, we get a little tiny baby boy whose life was spared because of the faithfulness of his mother, putting him in a basket to float down the river instead of being plunged to drown into the river. And this is the kid Moses, who grows up in the Pharaoh's household, living in the lap of luxury, but realizing and seeing firsthand the oppression of his people, rebelling against that, and then fleeting into Midian, where he became a shepherd, ready to live out the latter part of his life, kind of alone, out in the woods, took a family, guarding some sheep, until he spies a burning bush that isn't consumed, and the voice of God calls him to go back and rescue his people. Now, of course, he didn't want to do that, and so he resisted God's call on his life, but ultimately answered and went back to Egypt. Plagues followed. They were nasty and crazy. And finally, at the conclusion of the 10th and final plague, where the firstborn in Egypt were lost, the Pharaoh kicks the people out. They make their way in through the middle of a body of water, the Red Sea, as God parts it to safety and then floods the Egyptians. And now they're in a wilderness. And so today, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn with me, we're going to toggle back and forth between Exodus chapter 16 and 17 in a land of provision where where God continues to provide for his people. And there's a pattern that's established in this moment where the people don't see God's provision. They don't recognize God's provision. They don't understand that he's leading and providing. And so they complain and they grumble and God continues to show up time after time after time to prove who he is to them. And that's the passage that we land in today and the, the truth that we take with us today. I came on staff at Rolling Hills Community Church at our Franklin campus 14 years ago. Um, and I joined the team with a couple of other staff members who were all having our weeks of orientation rights together. One of of which was a lady about my age. She had a husband and a couple of kids. Her name was Liz Owen, and she's now gone on to live in Florida with her husband and his job transfer. And, you know, we remember their time here at Rolling Hills well. Well, she comes to work one day with a story about their oldest daughter, Emma Grace, about the dinner table that night, because those of us with young kids, like, we literally come to work the next day. We don't have anything better to talk about except for the dinner conversation that we had the night before with our children. So Emma Grace, about four years old at the time, was not eating her vegetables, And so she tells Scott and Liz, I'm full of this. And so they don't make her finish the meal, but a few minutes later, she's asking for a dessert, aren't we all, right? And Liz responds, well, immigrants, I thought that you were full and you didn't want anything else to eat. No, mom, I'm full of this, but I'm not full of this. And that's us in the world. 
looking around at, at, at the opportunities that God has provided to us and seeing so much out there that we want as to po- opposed to focusing on the thing that we need. Right at the end of Exodus chapter 16, verse 35 is really clear. It says, the Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. Now, in about a month, we're going to gear up for community groups, and we're going to be talking about the opportunities to go back into someone's home. COVID ready. Here we are at the conclusion of 18 months of not really being able to do this very regularly. We're going to jump back into people's homes and gather around uh, the, the dinner table and have Bible study together and fellowship and just live in community with one another. And as we begin to do that, you're going you're gonna to meet some new people, and you're going to be, oh, we're going to have to do some icebreakers. We're going to have to ask some questions. Trust me, if you were part of the community group, any one of the community groups that I've led over the years, you have been asked this question as some type of icebreaker. Hey, if you had to eat the same food every single day, every day for the rest of your life, what would it be? You should just go ahead and come up with an answer to that question. That way, when you're asked it in any sort of setting, in any sort of icebreaker scenario, you already have an answer and you're not sitting there at the last second trying to brainstorming. And you certainly don't want to say a food that wouldn't be true. Eggs is mine because you can make them so many different ways. Um, there's a lot of options there that come along with that. And so you, you may not want that. That may not be your choice in that moment. You may be like bacon or chocolate or coffee. Like I would highly recommend that one. You can say a beverage in that moment. Tell your small group leader. They're like, no, we really prefer a food. Coffee is a food. It sustains you through the day. Like you can say, what is the thing that you would eat for 40 years? They were literally living on manna every single day. And, and so if you go back to the beginning of that chapter, you'll, you'll see how the journey started and and, and what Israel's moment was trying to figure out for the first time what it meant to be not just full of this, but full of this. It it says in verse 1, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. So we're two months into this journey, and it says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled, verse 2. And that word grumbled is, is what you think it is. It's the word complaining. Obviously, they're offering complaints to God because their needs aren't necessarily and specifically met. But if you go back into the Hebrew language, every word always does double duty, meaning more than one thing. And so it's not just complaining. It also means to abide, to dwell, and to pause. They're basically fixated on the problem. You ever do that? where you just can't move past the idea that this one specific thing is wrong in your life. And so you stop and you dwell and you sit on the fact that there is an issue that needs to be addressed. They're they're fixated on the problem. So they're complaining about the problem and it's against Moses and Aaron. And it says in verse three, the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Talk about drama. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. You mean back when we were slaves? Back when we were beaten and oppressed? Like, like you're going to make that your happy rose-colored memory? We do that too. Do you tend to rose-color the past when you're annoyed by the present or afraid of the future? 
people do that. It's on, it's on trend. We tend to romanticize any of the difficulty that we've had in the past, any of the sin that we've excused in the past, any of the circumstances that we've faced in the past, whenever we're dissatisfied with the present and really afraid of the future. That's what Israel was doing. It would have been better to be stuck as slaves than to come out here free and engage any sort of struggle at all. A year after moving into our Nashville house, um, our air conditioning went completely out. And I say a year, it was really like 11 months. We had one month left on the initial one-year home buyer warranty that our air conditioning should have been covered up. And so me, being cheap, was committed to making sure that the warranty paid for the repair. And they had selected a company that they were going to require us to use for that repair. And that company came not once, not twice, not three times, but four times in the middle of the summer attempting to repair our air conditioner under warranty. And they never could. 40 days, not 40 years, but 40 days is what we went without. And the house was stinking hot. We had borrowed, thank you to whoever you are, um, two little tiny portable air conditioning units from folks in the church to make at least somewhat level of comfortable cool two rooms in our house, one of which was the master bedroom. And we moved all three kids' single mattresses into the floor of that room so that they could sleep with us at night and at least have a tiny bit of air flow. Fast forward six months, our son Simon is asking if he can move his mattress back into our bedroom. Nobody, you got to go to bed all alone by yourself in your room. And because he was annoyed by the present, I don't think he was afraid of the future, like bad dreams and whatever was going to happen that night, but he was annoyed by the present. He started to rose color the past. But I liked it last summer when we got to move our mattress in and sleep with you. That was awful, son. (laughs) But we do that. We, We tend to rose color the bad moments in the past whenever we're frustrated with the present or afraid of the future. We we minimize the sin in our past, although we tend to maximize the sin in everybody else's presence. There's an established pattern here that would follow Israel all throughout their wilderness wanderings where something would happen that they didn't like or weren't comfortable with, and so they would complain to God, and then God would step in and provide. If you toggled back to Exodus chapter 17, it's a very similar circumstance. It says, the whole Israelite community set out from that desert of sin and traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was this time no water for the people to drink. There we had no food, so we grumbled. This time we have no water, so we quarreled. And this is a step past grumbling. This is not complaining. This is the word fighting, arguing, contending with Moses. And they said, give us water to drink. And Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. And they said, why did you bring us out of Egypt and make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Drama. Why did we leave Egypt? We, we, had, we had pots of meat and, and water to drink, and here we are, starving and dying of thirst. And then God provides, and he gives the people what they need. In chapter 16, it starts with verse 4, and it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread. And when you read bread in the Bible, please don't read focaccia. Like, don't look at it and think of what you got from Fireflower Bakery last week at the farmer's market, although that is real good. Don't think sourdough. Don't think, like, whole wheat berry or anything like that. Don't think of even flatbreads. Like, we're not popping out a pizza this afternoon. Like, we're really not thinking of bread specifically alone. It's, it's food. 
Like the Lord will rain down food for you. This is what you're going to eat. The Lord will rain down bread, food from heaven for you. Then the people are to go out each day and to gather enough for that day. If you're an underlining type in your Bible or highlighting type in your Bible and you see that word enough, in some of your Bible translations, it's gonna be the word portion. Go ahead and underline that or highlight it because it's a specific word that matters for us today. It says, in this way, verse four, I will test them and see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. And so Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling, your complaining, your, your dwelling on the problem against him. Who are we? Now Moses takes an aside to say, hey, wait a minute. Like, who are we that you're complaining against me in the first place? Who are we that you should grumble against us? You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread, the food that you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. This is that moment we're reminded again. Think about the whole summer. If you've been here participating, putting your stickers in the little journal that we have for you to follow along with the Greatest Adventure series every single week, it's been a moment where God heard his people. And so the reminder yet remains, God hears you. He knows whatever that problem is that you're fixated on. He knows whatever those tendencies are to want to go back when you should instead be moving forward. He, he knows you and he, he hears you. It says, while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, verse 10, they looked toward the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. You remember he led them by a cloud during the day and by a fire at night. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat. It's quail. Those of you who are hunters know what I'm talking about. Me, not so much. And in the morning you will be filled with bread. Clearly I know about bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread. It's the food that the Lord has given to you to eat. This moment, you look at this passage of scripture and it parallels our own lives Back in verse 4, it says so clearly, the people that go out each day and gather enough for that day, and in this way, the Lord will test them and see whether or not they will follow his instruction. God's portion in your life can be both the provision that we need and also the probe that he uses to check our faithfulness. When God provides for us, it's the provision that we need, but it's also sometimes the probe that he uses to check our faithfulness. Now, this manna is a neat thing, and Jewish scholars and modern-day scientists tell us that it really is a, 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 a physical phenomenon that can still happen in the world, that somehow there are these bugs, I think they're called aphids. We're real mad because they mess up our garden sometimes, right? Okay, these aphid bugs, and when they get up in a tamarisk tree, which is sometimes called an ashwood tree, I get. So when these bugs are drinking the sap from the tamarisk tree in order to sustain the nitrogen that's needed to keep up with their own really fast metabolism, wish that was my problem, okay, their own fast metabolism, the excrement that's left behind during that process, the waste, it is a sugary white substance that you can still find apparently today in Sicily. 
So this scientific phenomenon of manna was not a one-time occurrence that God could provide, but instead an instance that he always intended to give. The miracle was this. It only came six days in a row, and on the seventh day there was none to collect. So the miracle was not only in the provision, it was also in the timing of it. Don't you know that's true for our lives? It's not just in the thing that God provides. It's the timing and the manner in which he provides it. That sugary excrement that lands on the floor that's gone by the middle of the day is manna. The word literally means, what is it? They didn't know what it was. They hadn't encountered it before. It wasn't part of what they enjoyed in Egypt. It was a new phenomenon to them. Does anybody remember the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta? Some of you will. Some of you, I gather, won't. But when they came, there was a mascot. This is what it looked like. Do you remember this now? I don't know if the Olympics had had a mascot before or if they were ever going to really have a mascot then, but that is strange looking. This was what we looked at in 1996 when we were celebrating the Olympics coming to the United States. And 20 years later, when they started looking at the Olympics to be in Boston, they were saying all the great things that happened in the city of Atlanta. And this little What's It character was nowhere on that list. We got a character. We got a What's its name was What's It, because nobody knew what it was. They literally called it what, I had a t-shirt with What's It on my senior year of high school in 1996, and it was What's It, 1996 Atlanta Olympics, and what is it? Nobody knew. It's the same. I called it manna, because I happened to know enough about scripture in that moment to know it's manna, so this little feral Benita, that's manna. I don't know why. What is it? Well, it's the thing that God is using to provide for you, And it's not only the thing that God is using to provide for you, but it's also the probe that he's looking into your life to figure out whether or not you are going to be faithful. In verse four, you underlined a word. You underlined the word enough. In a lot of your Bible translations, it's the word portion. In Hebrew, it's the word dabar. And it doesn't just mean enough. It doesn't just mean portion. It literally means speech, word, speaking, What does it mean to be filled with the word of God? What does it mean for this to be enough for us? Is God's word truly enough for you no matter what, always? Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, Moses is summarizing what God had done for them in this wilderness wandering. He says, he humbled you, for starters, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither your ancestors, you nor your ancestors had known. That's why we called it, what's it? And it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is what Jesus quoted when the tempter took him out into a similar wilderness for not 40 years, but 40 days and tempted him to take care of his own needs. The tempter came to him and said in Matthew chapter four, if you really are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word, the bar that comes from the mouth of God. And trust me, every word that does come from the mouth of God is enough for us. It's our portion for the day. So we come up every morning and we gather in what it says, and it will be the substance that we need. 
So the Lord commanded the people every single morning to, to go out and to gather as much as they needed. They were to take an omer, which is about two and a half liters for every single person in their house. And the Israelites did it. Some gathered much because their family was large and some gathered little because their family was smaller. And when they measured it, scripture says that each one had exactly what they needed. The one who gathered a lot didn't have too much and the one who gathered a little didn't have too little. And Moses told him, you're not supposed to keep any of it till the next day. Don't keep any of it till the next morning. Some of them didn't pay attention to Moses. You can continue to read about this in Exodus chapter 16. Some of them didn't pay attention, and they tried to save some for the next day. And the next morning, it was full of maggots, and it began to stink. So Moses got really angry with them. Each day, as the sun grew hot, the manna would melt and dissolve. And it wasn't there anymore until the next morning when they needed more. There's a, there's a sidebar out of this passage that, that we can gather today right here in America, what, what we need to hear. There's a book that I read by a pastor named John Piper years ago, and it's literally a book for pastors. It's called Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. And every single chapter is, hey, brothers, tell your people this. Hey, brothers, tell your people this. Hey, brothers, make sure the people, the, 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 the people that are under your care understand this. And one of those chapters is called Tell Your People Copper Will Do. Because you see, we live in a land where everybody's after the finest things in life. Everything has an upgrade. There's always a next level. Somebody always has something that's better. And what this word tells us is that just because you can't afford it doesn't mean that you should afford it. This word tells us that while everybody is after all those finer things in life, we as believers in Jesus Christ are called to redefine what is finer. We're called to redefine what it is that matters. And if we already have the best, Jesus Christ and God's Word, then why are we often so consumed with all the rest? We're out there, hands and knees, trying to take more than we need, when God alone has everything we could ever want. On the sixth day, it says in verse 22, the people gathered twice as much, two omers per person, and the leaders of the community, they came and they reported this to Moses. This is what the Lord has commanded. Today is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So, so bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses has commanded. And this time it didn't stink or get maggots in it. Verse 25, eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground. Six days you are to gather, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, now you know these people, they still went out, baskets and bottles in hand, trying to collect some more, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long? This was the test. How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my really basic instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That's why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everybody is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So eventually, finally, the people rested on the seventh day. Last week, we talked about the moment when they exited Egypt and what we knew when they exited Egypt is that we had to connect that back to the covenant, to the promise that God had made Abraham generations before. If Exodus was, if exiting Egypt was connected to the covenant, then this moment of manna made them think all the way about creation. 
If exiting Egypt reminded them of the covenant, hey, I'm going to give you a land. This is not where you're supposed to stay. You were in captivity. I've got somewhere else for you to be, somewhere that I promised long ago to give you. In this moment of wilderness wanderings where God met their needs six days out of seven and provided enough on the sixth to last them on that Sabbath day of rest, it was a reminder not just about the covenant that God had made with them, but the fact that God had ultimately created them. You see, before there was a fall, there was work and there was rest. Even for God himself, on the first day he made something, on the second day he made something, on the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth day he made stuff, but on the seventh day God rested. And before we get to the command, that'll come next week where he gives them the Ten Commandments and one of which is you shall rest on the Sabbath day, honor it and keep it holy and set apart. For in six days God created the world and on the seventh day he rested. This, this gift and this rhythm of rest which it had existed since the beginning of creation was a gift to the people. And so when they made their way to freedom, all they could think about was the covenant promise. And when they got up every morning to collect the things that God had provided for them, except for the seventh day when they didn't have to go out and collect, but they could literally sit home and rest, it was a reminder of creation. The land is coming. The promise is about to be fulfilled. But this is a reminder of what it means to be filled by him. Not just full of all this, but full of this. This is what it means to trust in an almighty God who provides for you every step of the way. And when we're out there trying to provide for ourselves, trying to always get that next, trying to get it to gold when we don't think copper will do, we forget what it means to depend on God. It's hard to depend on God when you're living in excess abundance all the time. It's hard to live a life in total dependence when your life is full of excess abundance. And so we understand the rhythm that God said pause, that, that God said rest. And this is what it means, not just to exit Egypt, but to think about Eden when we were fully connected fully committed and in complete and total union, every need met by God and God alone. If you know anything about this story or really anything about your own life and your own past, the thing about things is they can always get worse. No matter how bad it is today, like you thought I was going to say something nice. Hey, it's just going to get better. Hang in there. Let me give you all the platitudes in life. It's, 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 look, there is a, a silver lining behind every dark cloud. There is a ray of sunshine around every, a rainbow follows this. I can tell you all the platitudes. The thing about things is they can always get worse. They, they can always get worse. That's what happened in this moment when you, when you dive into chapter 17 and 16, they didn't have food. And now in 17, they don't have water. In 17, they don't have enough water to drink, but then you dive even further. Now they're being attacked by another army. 17.8, it says the Amalekites, right there in Rephidim where they were not having enough water to drink, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites. Things may be bad, but they can always be worse. And even in those moments, God will remain da bar. He's enough. He is our portion. He is all we need. 
The cool thing about the, the water story is that God told Moses to go and find this rock in the wilderness and that all he had to do was to strike it with his staff and as soon as he did, water would flow from it. So now the Israelites have two occurrences and two reminders to be completely devoted to God and to completely trust his provision because he's given us food every morning and here we are about to die of thirst and quarreling about it and he gives us water from a rock. God always provides. Just because God provides doesn't mean that things can't go from difficult to more difficult, from bad even to worse. So the Amalekites, they come and attack, and if you read through the end of chapter 17, you get this really cool story about Moses commanding Joshua to go down into the valley and to fight the Amalekites, and he went to sit up on the hill. You know, he's got really good box seats for this whole event that was going down, and Aaron and her, these other two guys, went with him. And when Moses was holding up his staff, Joshua was defeating the Amalekites, but you can imagine hold your arms up really long time. Like right now, it's super easy, but if I was doing this for a couple of hours, those suckers would get heavy and start to droop, and that's exactly what happened to Moses. He got tired, so they brought over a rock for him to sit on, and when his arms started to sag, Aaron and her, it's the picture of community, they would stand on either side and hold up his arms for him, and as long as they did that, the Israelites were victorious in the battle. God was once again providing for his people. The thing about things is that they can always get worse, but the thing about true trust is it never expires. No matter how bad things get, no matter how difficult the war is, God always provides, and we can always trust. Forty years worth of consistent daily provision, consistent daily reminders that God has this, he provides. Trust looks at all of those problems and all of those moments where we lack and says, things may be bad, but I can still have joy. My belly may be empty, but my heart and my life can still be full. Ultimately, God's powerful provision and our unwavering trust is meant to be our greatest heading in life. The way that we are to be perceived out there in the world, regardless of what our life looks like compared to the world, we are to be a signpost that says God provides and we trust. At the conclusion of that battlefield story, Moses built an altar in verse 15 of chapter 17, and he called it, the Lord is my banner. That word banner is the Hebrew word nice. Like, like, your, like your sister's kid, <laughs> it, your niece. And it, it, it literally means to be lifted up, the thing that is lifted and also kind of bedazzled. Because in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 16, it says, the Lord their God will save his people. And on that day, as a shepherd saves his flock, they will niece, sparkle in his hand like jewels in a crown. How attractive. Some of y'all are like those bedazzlers that you had in the 1990s where you put jewels and sequins on everything. You remember those? It's going to shine. It's going to, like, you did that because you wanted to stand out. This is it. This is what we're supposed to stand out for. They will sparkle in his hand like jewels. How attractive and how beautiful they will be. Grain will make the young men thrive and new wine the young women it's God's powerful provision and our unwavering trust that is to be our banner. It's the signpost. It's what we put out there in the world. It's what we want to be noticed for. A people who trust that no matter what the circumstance is and no matter how worse things get, God 
always provides, and he is always enough. We are to be a people who the rest of the world remark at. How in the world can you not be striving and working and killing yourselves for all of these things that the world has to offer? It's because we can literally look at them and say, we are full of this, and we want to be more filled up by this. We literally know that it's better. We literally know that it's enough. We literally know that no matter what comes our way, this God can be trusted. And regardless of what we are offered in the world, we want to be filled up in this. Ultimately, we're the altar on the rock. We're we're the banner in the sky. And we get to say to the world, hey, God always provides. And we will always trust. We're going to be full of him. Would you pray for me? Father, thank you for the opportunity to be in this place today and to look at your word and to open it up and to examine a story, a a narrative of truth, um, uh, a nugget of wisdom of of what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to approach the world. God, I I pray for our people this morning because I know for sure that some of us lack, that there really is a moment where we don't understand God fully that our needs can be met, and and that you really can provide. There are problems that are bigger than we are, God, and circumstances that are more difficult than we can think about, God, and yet you call us to be a people of faith and a people of trust, regardless of what those things are and regardless of what the world says. And so I pray today that like manna every morning, we would gather up your goodness and tell you that we trust you that, God, you would test us. Test us in our obedience and tell us to gather up your goodness in your timing, in your amounts, in your goodness, and that somehow that level of trust in you would be the banner that we display to the rest of the world, that you are good, that you provide, regardless of our circumstances, we will trust you. We tell you that today. And it's the prayer that we make in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook and stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.